Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we've got so many exciting things happening that I'm just going to jump right to Lou and let him give us the postscript and the news and uh, the launch of our new show, which is the one that's got us really fired up. Lou? I'm so excited about everything that I just don't know what to do with myself because it, it what, and what to talk about first or last or what have you. So uh, I'm just going to go and do it here. Uh, last week we had uh, on, on our show, we had Chris Keel, managing director at the National Association of Credit Management and Armada Corporate Intelligence, and the fact that he's also the chief economist for FMA, Fabricating and Manufacturing Association International. Um, he talked about the credit manager's report for the month of uh, October, uh, and uh, along with uh, the ISM and MAPI and all the rest of these uh, 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 prognosticators of uh, what the stats look like are all saying everything's just hunky-dory. And uh, the only ones who probably don't think that are the coal miners in West Virginia. Uh, however, uh, it seems as though manufacturers are really picking up and uh, we're, we're cooking. Uh, we also had uh, Anthony Nieves chair of the uh, Institute of Supply Management non-manufacturing uh, business report. Uh, and that too, the numbers are uh, was 60.1 for October, which is uh, very high. Uh, great report. We had uh, Tim Fiore, who's the chair of the ISM Manufacturing uh, Business uh, Report, and that number was 58.7 for October, a little bit down from the month before, but it's difficult to maintain over 60 for any length of time. So, but all in all. Great news, great story. Tim Fiore is uh, new with uh, ISM, and he's really doing a great job keeping those numbers pumped up. And I always tease him about it, and uh, so we'll give him the credit for that. News item. Some interesting stuff going on in the world, uh, as we all know, from uh, uh, Washington to elections and the Democrats and Republicans, and uh, that'll be the extent of my talking politics for manufacturing talk radio today. Uh, Mr. Trump uh, was uh, was in, uh, on the, his trip uh, around Asia, and uh, he signed a deal with, uh, in China with a company, China Energy Investment Corp. And they plan to invest uh, a total of 250 billion, that's billion with a B, in investments um, in West Virginia. That number actually exceeds the West Virginian state's GDP. So that's a big boon to the coal, mon- coal miners in West Virginia. The only problem with that, of course, is that this is a uh, non binding. Uh, agreement. So anybody can quit, or if anybody gets 
ticked off at anybody. The deal is done. It's over. And we go back to uh, sitting on the porch and strumming our banjos. Um, it's uh, it's quite a quite an event, and it should uh, prove to be uh, uh, very helpful for uh, the state of West Virginia and other states as well. One of the interesting things uh, that I picked up while uh, Mr. President uh, was uh, in China, and he gave a speech, which I, I thought was a little bizarre, and I think it actually may have made mainstream uh, uh, news, even though I don't remember hearing any of it, where he was sort of begging uh, in China that they start uh, manufacturing cars in uh, the United States. And uh, he also asked Japan the same thing, that they should start building their cars in our country. And so I started thinking about it. Well, what are all those cars that I see on the road? Uh, Nissan, Toyota, Kia from Korea, uh, BMW, Germany, Porsche, uh, Subaru, VW, the old Volkswagen. They're all being made in this country. I, I, I guess Mr. Trump hasn't looked out the window of his car and see all these companies, all these companies that are manufacturing uh, here in the United States. Uh, but he'll catch on eventually. Uh, so we'll deal with that until we until we don't have to anymore. This is a, also an incredible story. Scott Garrett formerly of New Jersey, Republican, who got voted out of office, wound up going to Washington, and was nominated for uh, the XM Bank to be on the, um, the, the panel who elects to give money to, uh, for loans uh, for manufacturers to be able to do business overseas. Of course, Scott Garrett was an anti XM Bank guy for a long time, uh, which seems to be consistent with Mr. Trump putting people in who shouldn't be in those particular positions. But now all of a sudden, Scott Garrett said, well, wait a minute, I'm in. I got it. I, I, I really like it. The name of the game, of course, was that he then realized he was actually going to get paid for this job. However, the Congress has uh, pretty much decided that he's not the right guy for the position. And uh, this coming uh, week that we're in now, uh, there is going to be a vote, unless there isn't. But I don't think that he's going to be part of XM Bank. Big, mis big mistake. NASA. NASA is giving a lot of credit to uh, the private enterprise uh, companies like uh, SpaceX and Orbital ATK and Boeing and a company called Blue Origin, um, because of the work that they do, they are saving NASA and the U.S. government a lot of money. So to give you an example of what real money is about, they, NASA claims that they are saving $183,000 per kilogram per rocket launch. So that's, if you divide it in half, that's about $90,000 per pound of a rocket going out into space that we're saving because of private enterprise. So 
either we continue doing that or we got to find out what NASA is really doing with all that money. I mean, it's, that's an, an incredible, crazy amount of dollars. Lastly, more good news. The government job report showed factories had uh, increased uh, workers by 74,000 people in the last three months. And uh, that brings the total payrolls to about 12.5 million, the highest number since January 2009. Uh, so everything seems to be really going in a, in, in a terrific uh, direction. Um, the aggregate weekly hours worked in manufacturing has jumped just short of 1% in the month of uh, October which means employment uh, and hours worked was the largest the Labor Department uh, put out since March of 2014. Uh, It's an incredible jump, and it's giving insight into the fact that uh, we are probably going to continue this growth pattern uh, into uh, October, November, and maybe December, even though December is a big holiday month. But it's a good indicator for what's coming in 2018, and I'm uh, really excited about uh, all of what's coming. And, uh, yes, Tim, we did launch WAM, Women in Manufacturing. We did launch it, and uh, we've got incredible numbers of people who have been uh, seeing us on uh, iTunes and Twitter and uh We're getting a lot of emails and we're getting phone calls. And I think the best phone call we got was a woman. um, I I won't use her name, but she's been with one of the U.S. auto manufacturer companies. She was with them for 30 years. She worked on the assembly line. And her quote was, it's about time that you guys start listening to what we are all about. So that was an exciting input that we got from just our first show. And if you want to listen to it or uh, go to Manufacturing Talk Radio, mfgtalkradio.com, and look for the WAM logo, W-A-M. Tim, I think I'm done. Okay. All exciting information, and we've got a great guest coming up and a great interview. Another conversation with someone who's with a small manufacturer this time around. So let's get to our guest. Thank you for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here with Cameron Hoy, who is an operations manager with Intricate Tool. He has kind of an interesting uh, development of his career path as he got involved with Intricate Tool. But let me also share with our listeners that We actually listen to our listeners, and that's why Cameron Hoy is on the show. He was communicating back and forth with my co-host, Lou Wise. So, Lou, why don't you share with our listeners how that evolved? Uh, On our website, we do ask our uh, listeners for uh, comments and points of interest, and uh, 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 we take all claims and testimonials. But we also take uh, – we're interested in the points that the the listeners have about either the show or about manufacturing. And uh, Cameron sent a rather uh, lengthy lengthy email, which I called him on, and we started talking about uh, the various points that he, as a manufacturer, uh, wanted to uh, contribute and get a message out to 
uh, the uh, the masses uh, uh, based upon his background. So, uh, Cameron, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself to begin with. Um, well, uh, first off, thanks for having me on the show today. Um, appreciate it. I did not expect to uh, make my way on the show when I wrote in to you, <laughs> so uh, I was well, surprised to get a call from you. Well, you're going to make big money on this. Big money. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I guess to start out, um, you know, I've been I've been around manufacturing all my life. My dad, um, he worked at a tool and die company in uh, Fort Wayne, and um, I would always, you know, I'd go to work with him a lot on the weekends. He he was a supervisor, so um, he had to go in a lot of nights and weekends to check on machines and make sure things were running. So I would spend a lot of time running around the shop floor and, and messing with the machines. And um, as time went on, I um, my dad, he started his own company, and I started sweeping the floors there in high school and uh, worked my way into uh, some data entry, um, front office stuff, then I decided to go off to college and um, step away from the manufacturing route and ended up with an education degree. And once I got out of college and started looking for teaching jobs, um, it was 2007, so it wasn't the best time for teachers looking for work. And uh, I ended up subbing, substitute teaching for that first year out and working for the business um, as well to fill in the gaps and um, I just I enjoyed working here at the company and um, got more involved with the with the daily things and I decided to stick with it so all right uh, so intercut is a uh, machine shop is that correct correct and you have all the usual uh, CNC machines and lathes, and you do subcontract work, or do you have a direct product yourself? Um, we have one product that we produce here. Um, it's it's not really, a, I guess, a mainstream product. It's it's for agricultural company, and uh, uh-huh. they it goes out in the fields for the lab technicians. It's a leaf tissue punch. Um, for corn and split beans. But other than that, we do, it's mostly subcontract work. Okay, so the the point uh, of you being here uh, is to uh, share with our audience uh, about the idea that the, the issues that you experience uh, and the things that you create to uh, help and preserve your company are the same and similar issues that every machine shop contract machine shop, subcontract vendor, all has the same problems and issues. So let's start off with, uh, and we know it, you know it, and a lot of our audience knows it. What's the current state of machine shops and uh, uh, contract vendors uh, within the economy as we're speaking now? We know that 2008 uh, up until recently has uh, was decimated the industry. But things are sounding good. Things are sounding better. How, how are you uh, involved in that? Uh, are you improving? 
Yeah, I mean, right now we're we're on an upswing. We're we're seeing work pick up quite a bit here in the last year. Um, so we're we're pretty optimistic going forward with things, and hopefully that momentum keeps up. Um, but yeah, 2008 was pretty rough. A lot of uh, shops our size uh, didn't make it through that, and um, somehow we did. We never had to lay anybody off, and we kept our core guys and. Right now, we're just trying to add people on on board and and keep growing. Which brings up the other topic is the skill gap. Do you right, have a, yeah. an issue in Indiana where you're having a hard time getting people who are um, have skills or aren't stoned on drugs? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's a real big issue. Um, just even getting applicants we we put out put out job listings on several different venues on websites and in print and um we really don't get a lot of applicants first off and the ones we do get um it's there's not a lot of promise there either you know we got to train them from scratch and a lot of times they find out after getting into the shop that they don't like it's not for them, I guess. It's not that they don't like it. It's just a little harder than they thought it would be. Right. And so they don't really stick it out. And it, a lot of our our operations require, you know, you got to train for one to two years to be proficient. So sure. Patience is low in the culture today, and they don't want to wait that long. So. <laughs> well, that's the impatient millennials uh, that they have a rap on them about. Uh over the last uh, number of decades, uh, there's been a lot of uh, jobs leaving this country because work has left this country. Uh, how did that affect uh, your company during that uh, that period of time? And has that exacerbated your skill gap and uh, availability of workers? Um, I, th- I think it's definitely affected the skills gap because um, we did – we lost one of our major customers to Mexico in 2008, and it was a slow trickle down. We knew it was coming, but um, it's been a struggle to find another customer to fill that gap that was left. Um, we've made up for it since then, but um, and we've had other customers that have taken work to China, and um, they're pretty hard to compete with. Their prices are way lower than what we could ever ever make and um, a lot of times too when a customer does go overseas they end up having us fix what was done over there because of cheap metal and things like that. That's a familiar story. When uh, the uh, the, uh, the jobs that they're claiming are coming back, are you feeling that? Not really. We haven't seen it make it down to us yet. Uh huh. Um, a lot of it doesn't seem to be on the machining side. It's mostly in, um, I guess, other industries. Mm-hmm. So we haven't had to really see much of that yet. I'm, I'm hopeful that we do, but time will tell. Cameron, I'm uh, curious in the in the world of the skills gap, and particularly a shop your size. There are many, many 
shops across the country that aren't huge machine shops or large tool and die operations. Is your solution, part of your solution, going to be robotics and further automation to reduce the amount of skilled labor you actually need to produce work? Or is the work that you do simply requires hands-on tool and die makers? There is there's a certain level that we can automate things and and keep keep making things easier for the operator, but all in all, I think um, we're not going to be able to get away from it fully. There, there, we still need people that can that can think and work with their hands at the same time, and I think that's that's a big issue with finding people with skills. Is um, they either want to sit at a computer all day or work on a production line and it's hard finding the person that can think and work with their hands all in a day's job. So, Give me a feel for what that means, because the other thought that comes to mind is 3D printing. You know, if they're making a something as a tool and die maker, can it be made by a 3D printer in additive manufacturing instead of subtractive manufacturing? Well, they are they're making a lot of strides in that in that sector, but it's from what I've seen, there's a long way to go before it's actually an efficient way of, of making a part. And there's still a lot of issues with consistency and getting cycle times down. So mostly right okay. now it's in in the prototype phase, it's good for prototypes and things like that. But um, as far as production machining, it's still it's got a long way to go yet. And the type of tool and die that you work with to produce a product or a part, are you putting out production level parts or are you putting out low volume? We are we are mostly low volume. We have two. Uh, we have a couple Swiss lathes that we um, do some smaller production on, but it, it doesn't get into, really, we don't do more than 10,000 parts on a run. So, um, yeah, it's mostly <laughs> Sounds like a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, some companies will pump out millions of parts per year, but, um, yeah. And even then, that's pretty high for us to get a 10,000-piece order. Sometimes we'll, it's usually around 1,000 pieces. Okay. Is, do you have a concern that the tool and die industry as it existed 20 years ago, as it exists today, may just kind of evaporate like the buggy whip manufacturers uh, 20 years or 40 years hence? Um, I, I could see a big decline in, in job shops um, just because so many of the larger companies they do have they've been investing a lot more in their in their uh, in their machines in their tool and die departments and so the need for a standalone machine shop has seemed to kind of decline a little bit over the years mm-hmm and you did mention that you see the large companies pulling tool and die back into their operations when they used to outsource it, whether they did it locally or internationally, they've now made 
a decision as corporate America does. You know, one decade it's, oh, outsource everything, and the next decade it's, we got to do all this in-house. So currently right, yeah. you're seeing them pull, pull it in-house? Yeah, that seems to be the trend right now. Every Everything, uh, there is a little bit of outsourcing, but not as much as there used to be. It's just, it's just kind of the trend right now. Everybody's, uh, the larger companies are doing their investments in, in more machines and more technology. And, um, you know, and we are too. We try to keep up with that, but um, sometimes we just, it's too cost prohibitive to go, to go full tilt into that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. In, in, act, in actuality, uh, you're right. The cost of these things are uh, the new technology is expensive. But over over the years, in the coming years, I mean, take a look at uh, 3D additive uh, uh, printing, uh, additive manufacturing. Uh, the cost has come down significantly. I mean, there there are places that are going to have 3D printers, uh, you know, on every desk in an engineering office. Uh, we we have a company, uh, we're in Fairfield, New Jersey. There's a, a client in Brooklyn, New York, who is a uh, outside vendor who has something like 100 machines, and he's doing a lot of um, uh, subcontracted work in 3D printing. So the, the more that we do, the cheaper it's going to get, and uh, that's the way it's always been. And uh, so that's a, that's a good thing. I don't think that'll ever get rid of uh, tool and die makers in totality uh, because there's some work that's just not going to be able to be done by uh, 3D printing. Even though, Tim, I do recall, I think it was in Sweden or somewhere in Europe where they had a 3D printer that built a bridge in in place. Do you, do you recall that? Yeah, they built one. Uh, it, actually, it was a prototype that the span was five feet from uh, right. a rock to, to a rock, but it no, but but it was a great experiment to, to what can be done in that kind of uh, manufacturing environment. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you said earlier that you do have problems uh, getting uh, applicants. Um, the the kids that are coming out of school, I, I think, are beginning to get it that uh, college just might not be their their thing. And uh, at the state level, and some with some federal aid, uh, they are creating um, vocational uh, environments to learn uh, the uh, techniques and skills that are required uh, in your business, uh, Cameron. Uh, do you see much of that in Indiana at all? Um, yeah, there's there's definitely an uptick in in programs trying to get the ball rolling with um, with getting getting more kids and at the high school level interested and actually let them know that it is a career option. It kind of, when 2008 came around and manufacturing kind of dried up for a while, all of the school programs went away with it and. They realized that was a terrible idea, and so we are seeing a little <laughs> right. more. Yeah, we are seeing a little more government involvement in in revamping that and and getting things going in that direction. And there are there is an Indiana grant program that was just approved 
called Indiana Career Ready, and it gives employers $2,500 per new employee for training and up to 25000 per employer. So you can, you know, you can hire 10 people and get up to $2,500 per person to train them and, and, and get them in running a machine. So there's that, and there are, there are other uh, programs that have been around for a while with talent initiatives trying to get in the schools and connect employers. So um, I'm, I'm, I've been talking more with those people technical colleges as well, uh, working with their programs. I think that part of the uh, issue has been, and we've heard it, and it's been spoken with uh, me and some people that we've met at some of these conferences that we've gone to, that part of the problem is the parents, and the parents have to be retrained in that to think in terms of manufacturing is a career. And is not working in a in a garage with greasy floors and uh, steel bits on the floor anymore. So they need to be trained, and it'll wind up saving them a lot of money, uh, a couple of hundred thousand dollars in college. And that Sonny or Susie, when they get done with their training, they're going to be leaving the house and not coming back to live because they can't get jobs. So this this is real important, and we've talked to a lot of administrators and some uh, politicos in regards to the fact that parents may be at this point the root of a problem and at least give that option open to their uh, young uh, adult children uh, to see this as a a better or different career path. Yeah, you're uh, you're absolutely right. Um, There is – we have to – Educate the parents as well, and it has to start even before high school for them to have any kind of education on manufacturing and, and know what it is and just have to get the word out that it isn't a, a dirty profession per se anymore. Sorry, go ahead. Manufacturing Talk Radio did a uh, an on-site event here in New Jersey several months ago where Every one of the 300 libraries in the state of New Jersey had an event on a Saturday morning, and they had each one had maybe 10 to 20 uh, kids that created projects that involved them manufacturing something, anything from electronics to computers to computer boards to uh, mechanical this or mechanical that. Uh, and even some uh, creative artwork and so on. And uh, we had gone to one in particular, and we interviewed uh, those uh, parents and the uh, kids that were there. The interesting thing was that of the 300, of the 300 libraries, there were a total of 80,000 people in the state of New Jersey involved in manufacturing that Saturday morning. It did not appear. It did not appear on TV. It did not appear in the press. It did not appear on radio. And matter of fact, uh, we here contacted uh, local uh, media press about it, and their their attitude was, uh, well, if something more important comes up, we can't do your event. Uh, so we knew it was a blow off. 
they did not come, and I don't specifically remember the Earth coming to uh, uh, <laughs> to the end of its course that day. So that that was unfortunate. But there were eighty thousand people, and I I found that incredibly staggering. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I I have not heard of anything here in Indiana that that goes on like that, but I know there is. A big maker movement, and I'm sure you've heard of that. Um, it's more on the artistic side of things. Um, but there are a lot of people out there that I think want to make things with their hands. And we have right. actually Fort Wayne, uh, where, near where we're located. There is a, there's a maker trailer downtown that people can go in and make things. And there's many CNC machines, and I think they might have a 3D printer as well. And there's... Um, just a lot of ways for people to make stuff with their hands. And I think we've gotten away from having that outlet for people. Absolutely. And it is a satisfying career to make something from raw steel or whatever material you're working with and and make it into something useful. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, Cameron, I want to go to the subject of tax reform. We're hearing more and more about tax reform and you know president trump ran on that as one of his issues uh, we see something similar in the debt ceiling where the republicans want to do it one way the democrats want to do it another way uh, trump uh, encouraged the democrats and went that direction i'm afraid tax reform could go the same direction as the two parties battle with each other instead of doing what's right for america uh, sorry to get political, but uh, take a look from your perspective on tax reform. What would you like to see or what does your company need to be more competitive that tax reform would help you with? We had a tax break when buying um, new machines, um, mm-hmm. and that that disappeared. So it would be nice if that came back again. And um, just really the whole system needs revamped. And I know it's going to be a, a long time before that happens, if it ever happens. But, um, you know, the gridlock in Washington is just it's tough to overcome. And whatever Trump does throw at him, it's going to be met with a lot of opposition. So I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of faith that much will change anytime soon. Maybe in his second term if he gets that or whoever gets in <laughs> next. <laughs> Who knows where that's going to well, go, but... I think you're right. I think he got elected on hope, and now faith is coming in, uh, and the voter doesn't have a lot of faith that the things they hoped for are really going to happen, because it is, you know, we all point the finger at the president and say, it's the president, it's the president. No, it's Congress. Congress right. is the issue. They're they're battling with each other, and I think Lou has called it right. He's said on many occasions, it's one side against the other, and nobody wants the other guy to get a win. So the country continuously takes losses. Um, right, yeah. So I think, Only I think that's where we are on that. There's uh, a point in your original email uh, that I, I would like to read, because I don't want to get your quote wrong, but I, I, you really hit the nail on the head. And you stated, to tell the tell your listeners 
that whatever job title they have within manufacturing setting, they need to talk about what they do and be proud of their role in one of the greatest forces in, in the wor on the world stage. It seems there isn't a lot of pride in what we do these days. We're often a silent bunch anyway as we focus on our work and keep grinding. Manufacturing has been, has been taken a beating by the media, the economy, the government, you name it. We're still here because manufacturing is necessary for our survival as a nation. Uh, I, I can't imagine it being said any better, uh, Cameron. It was great. That was just terrific. Uh, so, Tim, do you have any other points we'd like to touch on? Well, I think we've kind of gone over uh, Cameron's uh, list of subjects that he sent into us. I, I again thank Cameron for his feedback. It's always helpful for us at Manufacturing Talk Radio to know what the listener is hearing, both in sound quality and content. And it was Cameron's comments on both of those subjects that helped us understand and make some corrections on our end so that we can be more effective in what we're trying to do, which is get useful information out to manufacturing, out to the people who think about manufacturing, out to parents who might think, gosh, should my children go and get a degree as a film critic or should they go into manufacturing? So all that is very helpful, and we appreciate, Cameron, that you being on the show with us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you. Thank you again for and having I, me. And let's get your uh, e either email or URL for your company so people know how to contact you. Sure. Um, my email is Cameron, that's C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at intracut.com. And um, our URL for the company website is um, intri hyphen cut.com and that's the same in my email at intri-cut.com and Cameron you can send our commission checks to our usual location <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully I can uh, maybe report back sometime and let you know how well we did after the show So <laughs> that, that would be terrific that would be terrific uh, thank you much and by the way uh, I pass it on to our listeners Send in your comments, your compliments, your testimonials, and uh, critic, be critical where it needs to be and help us do a better job. Tim? Yes, Lou, I, I heartily agree, and we appreciate everyone who listens to Manufacturing Talk Radio. When we appreciate Cameron Hoy, who has been here from Intricate Tool. He's an operations manager. That company is in Roanoke, Indiana. And if you're looking for some great tool and die work to be done, get a hold of Intricate at Intricate.com. And thank you for listening. Okay, great stuff. Uh, really interesting stories. Uh, I, I, I believe that uh, we've got... Uh, some additional information that we want to give to our listeners about WAM, just as a reminder, WAM, Women and Manufacturing, great, great show. Uh, we've got uh, a show uh, tomorrow uh, at mfgtalkradio.com, and just look for the WAM logo and uh, read all about us, and then just click the button, and we are having on that show Beverly Gaston of General Motors, and uh, it's going to be great stuff. Uh, Tim? 
Thanks, Lou. Yes, we've got all the shows, by the way, are at mfgtalkradio.com. You can also find them at iTunes if that's where you get your RSS feed from. Just uh, tap into our website. You're going to find three logos up at the top of that homepage, one for Manufacturing Talk Radio, one for Women in Manufacturing, and one for A Global Perspective with Dr. Adriana Sanford. Click on the logo. It'll take you to the page, and you can begin to listen to the shows, all of which are at mfgtalkradio.com. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back with you again next week. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.